Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Loopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another wonderful episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. I can say wonderful because my two guests that I have, I know it's going to be wonderful because of who they are and just the great people they are. Uh, Yeah, on this podcast, after way too much delay on my part and lack of good scheduling... uh, We're going to open up the mic with Lanny and Tracy Barnes. And if you don't know them, you should. Uh, Amazing people, first of all. Uh, Olympic athletes in the women's biathlon. Twins. Amazing shooters. uh, Amazing hunters. The list could go on and on and on. Uh, I've known them for about 10 years now. Uh, Just when I first met them. I was somewhat awestruck because I'm like, oh, man, these are those two Olympian twins that I saw on TV. Uh, And they were so approachable and easy to talk to. They were uh, instantly the kind of people you say, wow, these these are the kind of folks I like to hang out with. And so over that time, I've stayed in touch with them. Uh, Whenever we're at common events, we get a chance to catch up and visit. But... uh, I've, I've asked them to join uh, today, and they will do that. I think they're going to be from their office in uh, Durango, Colorado, or somewhere down in southwest Colorado. I think it's Durango area is where they're both at these days. Uh, anyhow, I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's got plenty of hunting mixed into it. It's got a bunch of... Uh, well, if we follow the questions, I should say it's got a bunch of hunting mixed in it. Uh, a lot of shooting, uh, a lot of talk. A lot of the points we're going to bring up are about what skills or traits or or learning you get from being an elite-level athlete, uh, three-time Olympian, and how those kind of skills of discipline and dealing with successes and failures and rewards for hard work and sometimes just bad luck kind of stealing away from you what you thought you might have deserved and just so many life things I think that Lanny and Tracy bring to the discussion and uh, the fact that they've been lifelong elk hunters is is just, well, uh, you'll, you'll I'm sure they'll interject enough of that for you to understand where their passions in the hunting and shooting world come from. So anyhow, before we get to that, I want to thank Leupold for making this podcast possible. Go to Leupold.com, check out all their great new optics, and I hope you'll consider them when you're in the market for optics. Our good friends at Nosler. Uh, Nosler Ammunition is, you know, well... Remember 1948 when John Nosler uh, came out with the partition bullet? Well, neither do I, but I've shot a lot of elk with them. Uh, I wasn't around in 1948, but that's how long Nosler's been around. Great family company. Go to nosler.com. Check out all the bullets. 
components, uh, factory ammo. I mean, they have uh, they have the pieces or they have the final assembled part, whichever you prefer. Uh, I've been shooting their factory ammo now for, I think this will be my eighth season using it. So uh, go to Nosler.com. You'll find all those goodies. Uh, Mystery Ranch packs. Uh, go to Mystery Ranch dot com to check out all their great packs and learn all the intricacies little details of them and when you get ready to buy one you can get them at a lot of retailers but if you want to save 10 percent on your mystery ranch pack go to gohunt.com go to their gear shop check out using promo code randy when you check out and go to you know pay for everything in your cart I know you'll get 10% off your Mystery Ranch pack. I think you'll also get 10% off most everything else in your cart. So there's some items that are excluded and sale items are excluded, but that's a way to save some money. Don't pay full retail. Uh, our buddy uh, Corey Jacobson has his University of Elk Hunting course. Now that many of you are holding your elk tags that you drew or bought this year, uh, if you want to gain more information, I got a text from him today that he just updated a whole bunch of stuff related to archery setup. Um, and he, this spring, he's added a bunch more, uh, I call them like in the moment or how it happened, how it unfolded. Uh, go to elk101.com and use promo code Randy when you sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and he'll give you 20 bucks off. So don't miss that one. Uh, well, the Alaska Seafood Box, you've heard us talk about our buddy John. He was on the podcast last summer. He's connecting sustainable, sustainable uh, seafood harvest right to your doorstep, uh, working with small local fishermen that he knows personally, working with processors that he knows personally because of a lifetime growing up in the fishing industry. And he'll get that amazing Alaska seafood right to your doorstep. And when you do that, use promo code Randy and he'll throw in free, free, yeah, free, F-R-E-E, free scallops for the life of, of your subscription. So Wild Alaska Seafood Box, go there, do it. So now this is your chance, two chances to win an elk tag. So working with our buddies at Go Hunt, I said, Randy, I don't think that we did your tag giveaway last year this this year usually we it runs from i don't know december to june i said no guys you didn't do that but i'll forgive you they said well we got to get it done so they have identified a new mexico elk voucher unit wide you're going to get to hunt i think the unit is 6a up uh in northern new mexico and here's what you do if you are an active member either because you sign up now or you've signed up in the last however many months, if you're an active member on August 31st when they do the drawing and you have used promo code Randy when you signed up, you're going to be in the drawing for that New Mexico elk tag for this fall. It's, it's going to be a hunt you can do in 2021. Uh, it'll be a rifle elk tag in uh, October. And then they, ha they said, but you got to make sure your audience knows that anybody who is a subscriber of our service, our insider service, whether they use your promo code or some other promo code or no promo code, the same day we're going to do another drawing for the 2022 New Mexico elk tag, and we're giving away $15,000 a gear. 
So there's your chance. Go sign up for the Go Hunt Insider. You're going to get all the great stuff, the filtering 2.0, the 3D maps. Uh, you've heard me talk about it. You've seen our videos about what all's in there. Go sign up and do that. And if you use promo code Randy, you're going to not only get a $50 gift card to use in their gear shop, you're going to get in on the drawing for the, the tag specific to us in 2021 and the tag for them in 2022 plus the $15,000 worth of gear. So with that, we paid the bills, folks. I, I don't know what you all think about my method of this, right? A lot of podcasts, they do these mid-roll things and whatever. I want you to know who makes this podcast possible. Let's get it out of the way right up front, and then let's just have a discussion. I'm not going to insult you by interrupting you every 15 or 20 minutes for an ad about some company whose stuff I've never heard of, let alone stuff I don't even use. I, <laughs> if you knew how many people, how many companies, ad agencies contact us to be in this podcast, and I'm like, nope, nope. No, no, no. Uh, because uh, why would you want me to be talking about a product that I don't believe in, right? Uh, Randy Newberg uses, you know, whatever shoelaces or whatever baby wipes. or It's like, really? You don't need that. So I hope you appreciate that we try to get this part out of the way at the beginning that we don't you know, disrupt what I think is always good conversation and the flow and the, and the, you know, just kind of the energy that comes with getting into a good discussion. So that's why we do it the way we do. And that's why we turn down all those people who say, oh, at the 20 minute mark, we want this ad to roll at the 30 minute mark. No, not my style. It works. I know if a lot of people do it, so it must work, but it doesn't work for me. So anyhow, all that being out of the way, we're about ready to have a really cool conversation. I can't thank Lanny and Tracy enough for taking time out of their really busy schedule. And I hope when you hear who they are as people and how they look at life that you'll adopt some of that and that you'll go follow along wherever you can find them. And uh, they, they're just two remarkable people. So I'm going to hit this button and through the miracle of technology, they will be connected directly to the, whatever this podcast software, Zencaster is what we use. We'll all be connected. It, it, it's like magic, like hocus pocus. Like, uh, like who came up with this? Who, whoever invented this should be president. So anyhow, thanks for being here, folks. Can't tell you how much I appreciate every one of you. Appreciate your patience while we fell a little behind on podcasts, but uh, Lanny and Tracy are there, and uh, here we go. Well, folks, I told you that I was going to have two of the coolest people I've ever met in the outdoor space. Uh, I'm trying to remember when I first met them. I think it was like 2010 or 11, something like that. Uh, Lanny and Tracy Barnes. Uh, Besides being world travelers, people of many languages, and Olympians and amazing shooters, amazing hunters, they're also amazing people. So Lanny and Tracy, thanks for taking the time to be here with us today. Randy, thanks for having us. We appreciate you. 
taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, you know you're our absolute favorite hunter. Really? What do I owe you for saying that? <laughs> Nothing. It's true. Oh, thank you so much. I I still remember it. I met you guys at a SHOT Show. We were all stuck in the booth with Otis uh, Technologies at the time. And uh, I'm like, man, I think I've seen these people somewhere before. And then it kind of dawned on me like, oh, yeah, when I watched the Winter Olympics, that, that, that's, that's those, that pair of twins. Oh, no, the light went on. I feel bad if I made a fool of myself that first day by not realizing and not connecting the dot there. But, yeah, you you must have stayed up in the middle of the night watching that because they don't show it that often. <laughs> I, I do because I grew up in northern Minnesota where cross-country skiing and biathlon isn't quite as popular as hockey. But if there is a Nordic part of the United States other than maybe Vermont, New Hampshire, northern Minnesota and the UP of Michigan is kind of there. So Yeah, we, uh, we spent a good tick of time up in in northern minnesota so we know all about that oh you you betcha (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my wife says when i go home i pick up the accent again when i come home she's like you're talking like your family again i'm like well is that good or bad she's like i can can hear it in there it's still there (laughs) (laughs) oh so i sent you a list of questions and i don't really know where to start other than uh, maybe a little background about what each, you know, your twins, you kind of followed at least some of the similar paths by being biathletes and being in the Olympics. And uh, how did you get into that? Where, where did that start at? <clears throat> yeah, so we grew up in uh, southwest Colorado, the kind of down near the Four Corners area. And our mom was a biology teacher. Our dad was an outdoor enthusiast, a big hunter. And so he ended up having three girls and hunting and fishing was his biggest passion. So he wasn't going to pass up the opportunity to share it with his kids. So he took us out hunting at a young age, taught us how to shoot, uh, and all that. We even, he even got us into some shooting competitions when we were fairly young he would give us a quarter for every time we hit a bullseye and i don't think that lasted too long because he ran out of quarters and so then he signed us up for some competitions and we were pretty big into soccer and some other sports at that point and um at the competition we it was small more prone so you're just supposed to lay there and keep your heart rate down all that and so we would get up in between shooting and juggle a soccer ball and run around do everything you're kind of not supposed to do and a guy there <laughs> He's like, you're in the wrong sport. <laughs> so he's like, why don't you try, you should try biathlon. And we had no idea what biathlon is. I mean, we're from Colorado where you, you take a ski lift up the hill. You don't ski up it. I mean, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you ski up a hill when you can take the lift? Right. So it took us a while to actually find out how to get into the sport. And we thought it'd be a good way to stay in shape for soccer in, in the spring. But then, uh, but then once we tried it, it was like, man, that's our, that's our kind of thing. It's running and gunning. And so <laughs> running yeah. and gunning. I yeah. like that term. Yeah. Huh? So how old were you at that point when you got into that? We, we were, we got into Bathon probably our freshman year in high school. And, uh, it was kind of the perfect sport for us because, uh, 
you know, I think growing up hunting was our biggest passion. Um, we just, it was just something we did. Uh, you know, it wasn't like we had dreams of ever, you know, pursuing anything big in hunting. It just is something we loved and did. And, and when we found out about biathlon, we're like, this is as close to hunting in the Olympics as you can get because biathlon actually uh, originated as a form of hunting and skis in Scandinavia. And then it became a military tactic in World War One and World War Two, And then in times of peace, the militaries would compete against each other. And, uh, and then, boom, that's how it became an Olympic sport. So it was as close to hunting in the Olympics as we could get. Huh. Hunting in the Olympics. That almost is right there. You, you know how many people you just recruited to the world of biathlon by saying hunting in the Olympics? Oh, definitely. Every, every young person listening to this is like, sign me up. Where do I go? Yeah. <laughs> and then put on top of that representing your country. That's kind of, kind of hard to be. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you guys make it sound so easy, right? Like, oh, we just, you know, we became Olympic biathletes. I can't imagine the thousands and thousands of hours of training and conditioning and discipline of diet and uh, sleep. And uh, uh, do you guys look back at it and say, what were we thinking? That 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 was crazy. I, I mean, for the person who doesn't reach that elite status of of whatever their chosen athletic pursuit. I don't know that we can really relate to how demanding it is. Yeah. I mean, we look back all the time and think, you know, we definitely had to have been off our rocker to (laughs) put ourselves through what we did. I mean, it was, it was definitely not easy. Um, but neither of us would trade any of the experiences good or bad for any of it because we learned so much from the experience. It helped us become who we are. Uh, it made us tougher. It, it, it really, it made us better hunters. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, the, the training was grueling. It was really difficult, but having, like Tracy said, having the opportunity to represent your country, you just can't trade that for anything. Yeah. You guys were in, what was it? 2006, 10 and 14 Olympics. Yep. Six, 10, 14. Okay. And then one time I'm sitting on the couch watching, I don't know, Jim Nance or somebody. And the story comes up and it's the two of you. And I can't remember. This is the interchangeability of twins, maybe. <laughs> one one of you had gotten sick in the U.S. Olympic qualifiers and the other had qualified and you traded the spot to the other. Did I get that right? Yeah, well, more or less. So that was our that was our final Olympics. That was in 2014. So we uh, leading up to that Olympics, we were we were favorites to make that team, and we had just come off the 2010 Olympics where <clears throat> I didn't make the team. Well, I was actually the alternate. Um, I was uh, we. It was kind of an unfortunate series of events, but essentially what happened is the last day of the qualifying, our last qualifying race, we wake up and it's so foggy outside that you can't see. So they canceled the race and they made the team base. They determined the team based off those first two races instead of making that race up. And unfortunately I had one bad race and one good race. And so I didn't make the team, which was just super disappointing. Um, so Lanny went, but she ended up having in 2010, she ended up having the, 
top U.S. women's finish at any point up to that point and nearly got a medal. So we were really psyched about the 2014 Olympics and, and our opportunity to try to medal there. And we felt our, 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 um, we were just really hitting the top of our game at that point. So we get to those trials and, and, uh, Lanny ends up getting sick during the trials. And I had some of the best races of my career to that point. So I was pretty psyched to make the team after having not made it, you know, four years before with a little bit of unfortunate fog and weather, you, you know how that uh, is Randy, yeah. you get out there and the weather's crap <laughs> you can do about it. But so anyway, so, um, yeah, so they named the team that, that night after the trials race. And I, you know, after having trained with someone for so long, knowing they're what they're capable of and you know lanny's my best friend and and you know witnessing her um kind of watch her dream like go down the tubes and and think that that was her last shot at the olympics and and that she wasn't ever going to have that that opportunity again it was just it's devastating to watch and you know i had gone through something similar you know four years before and i felt i had the opportunity to kind of help her out and give her hand up. And so that's, that's when I declined my spot, which freed up the net, a spot for the next person in line, which was, which was her. So she was able to go and represent the U S at the Olympics there and did good. So, yeah. Oh man. That's, that's why that story still sticks with me. When I saw it on TV, I was, I was like, wow. This is <laughs> this is not something you hear about or see happen with regularity. This is a this there's a unique situation with remarkable people who do remarkable things, and so doing something like that. I I mean, you say best friends. I mean, twins. You you've known each other for your entire lives. Plus pre-womb or, or in the womb. <laughs> uh, do, do you ever, I mean, I, I can answer this. I can't tell the two of you apart. Uh, I never know who I'm talking to. Uh, and uh, do you ever have this, well, I got to go do my thing. I got to go do my thing and quote unquote identity, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't know. I think it's different when you're a twin. I think you're, you're kind of, you're wired a little bit differently. Yeah. I think what, instead of thinking I got to do, go do my thought, my thing, we think that we have to go do our thing. Yeah. You know, I constantly catch myself. If I'm, if I'm talking to someone and I'm actually just talking about things that I'm doing, I never use the term. I, I always say, we're going to go do this and, and we have to do this. And, and they're like, and someone's always like, well, who's we? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, I guess just me this time. But, um, you know, that's kind of how we're wired. We always, you kind of think of someone else, put someone else first always just because that's how you were born. That's how you were raised. That's how, that's how it is with twins. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's a team. So it, for the two of you, then it, it, does it not seem as remarkable for what you just described with the story of uh, giving up your place for your your teammate and your sister? On the outside, that just seems like such a remarkable thing. The way you guys are explaining it, it's like, no, that's just the way we, we operate. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, having Tracy given up her dream for me, I think that's as remarkable as you can get. I'm going to spend my the rest of my life trying to figure out how I can repair for that. Um, but you know, I think for people on the outside looking in, they're like, "Why would you do that? I would never give up my dream for someone else." And and you know, the the way the way she looked at it is, she wasn't giving up her dream. She was helping realize our dream. You know, this, this was, this was our dream. We, we trained together, we competed together. Um, she wanted what was best for the the U S and she thought that me going would, would, would be the best. And, and, uh, you know, so it, I guess twins look at it a little differently, usually a little less selfishly. Um, but I mean, it's still amazing what she did because at the end of the day, she was the one that made that decision to, you know, give up her opportunity to go one last time so that I could. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of people, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people can relate to it because even look at this last year and look at how many people suffered with this whole COVID deal and think of how many times you saw people reach out and help someone else, whether it was a stranger, whether it was a friend or, you know, someone they knew, family member, whatever, you know, I think, I think we all have that little something in us where, you know, you're seeing someone suffering, you're seeing them, you know, at their, what could be their lowest point. And I think, I don't know, I think there's something to be said for trying to, trying to help them, you know, and I mean, Uh the Olympics are, I don't know, it's the Olympics, but but just giving the opportunity to someone to kind of, you know, get a leg up or get, have another another opportunity because, you know, you look at my experience in the 2010 Olympics, a little bit of bad weather and I didn't get the opportunity to try to make that team, you know, so a little bit yeah. of bad luck. And how many times have we all had just a little bit of bad luck? And if we had that second chance, that other opportunity, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be like just amazing for so many of us to just have a second chance at something to be able to prove ourselves or try something out. I hope if anybody listens to this podcast that they listen to that segment that you guys just spent the last three or four minutes talking about and they apply that to wherever they are in their life. Because I, I'm over here. I mean, we're remote doing this podcast and I'm thinking to myself, why haven't I ever expressed it that way? So thanks for, for saying it the way you did. I think people listening can take that and apply it to wherever it is in their life. There's somebody who could use maybe a good break once in a while. Um, yeah. Well, and and Randy, you've, you've done the same thing. I mean, you've taken new people out hunting and shooting before and, and given them some pretty incredible opportunities. So, you know, it's, everybody does it in their own way. It's just, uh, you know, taking the time to, to do it and, and realizing that it can really make a difference in someone's life. Yeah. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be something big. You know, I, I hear a lot of people these days saying how, you know, man, the world has changed and what direction are we heading in? You know, it looks kind of scary, but if we all continue just to have that little bit of kindness to, you know, give someone a hand up or hold the door for them or, you know, give someone a smile or a wave or whatever. I think we continue to see that if good people, then we're going to be just fine. <laughs> uh, man. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And if the two of you ever run for office, let me know. I want to be your campaign manager. <laughs> uh, and uh, kind of what you say there, there's a little coffee shop I go to here every morning. Uh, I never used to, I, I used to go there probably every other morning. And then after COVID, I'm like, you know, I want to help them out because I know business is really struggling. So I go in there and they already know what I want. They have my drink and my scone prepared by the time I get up to the counter is like such an easy transaction i and i'm very predictable so it's like all right he wants a 20 ounce dark drip with cream and he wants a triple berry scone they, they, they just know <laughs> yeah. um but whenever i get to the front of the line they're like hey randy how you doing and i picked this up from my grandmother uh she was born in 1902 great grandmother actually homesteaded in northern minnesota the first year they were there they lived in a tent that winter Ooh. And she'd seen it all, uh, been there, done that, you know, struggled through the depression, raised her four kids. And uh, her comment usually was that I'm trying to be perfect. In other words, how how do you feel today? She'd say, well, I'm working on perfect is what she'd say to just to try give everybody a a bit of a smile or a bright ray of sun that day. And so I've adopted that mantra and when someone says how you doing randy i'm like perfect and they're look they look at me like how can you be perfect i'm like look i'm 56 years old i've never had a bad day yet and i'm not going to start a habit like that this late in my life and you do see that people are kind of like oh that made me smile and for me if that's enough to help a few people have a, a slightly better day um it doesn't take a whole lot to to make people feel a little, little better about where they're at, what the situation is, and and the today could be a good day. Um, yeah, I, I love gra- that. I think that's awesome. Uh, yeah, another grandma on the where my Finn heritage comes from. Uh, her statement to me when I was about ten years old was, "Randy, when you wake up every morning, if you say it's going to be a good day or a bad day, you're probably right." Uh, huh. I didn't know what she meant when I was 10. But as I got a little older, I'm like, you know, Grandma, you were right. (laughs) Uh, She is right. I mean, that's every morning when you wake up, you have a choice whether you you can uh, start out your day on a good foot or a bad note. (laughs) You know, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, they wake up in the morning and they're like, oh, I'm tired. I didn't get enough sleep and, you know, start start forming negative thoughts in their head. And the second you do that, you're you're setting yourself up for for kind of having a bad day or failure. And, and I think the most important thing is people realizing that you have a choice every morning you wake up one, you, you have an opportunity, you're alive. You can, you can do whatever you want that day and, uh, you can make it a good day or bad day. And, um, you know, that, that generation and and those people, what they live through, they're shining examples of, of how to, uh, you know, live through really difficult times and, and make the most of it and, and have a positive attitude in the, the meantime. Well, I'm, I, I feel that I owe most of my demeanor and my outlook in life to my three grandmothers. I had a great grandmother. They, she died at 102. Uh, and then my, my mom's mom and my dad's mom, they, it, they were just so helpful for me to just get up every day. Like, you know what? I, I got a pretty damn good living in the best country in the world. 
I, I get to go do this as my daily job. To make a living, I get to disinherit the federal treasury as a tax accountant. I mean, what what a country. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, anyhow, I, I'm glad we, we've touched on it the way that you guys have, because I'm sure in elite level athletics, this isn't like, you know, slow pitch softball in the beer league or anything. This is something where you and not just the two of you, but your whole family makes a commitment and makes sacrifices to get to this point. And there has to have been some ups and downs and moments along the way where you question either your sanity or more realistically, is this really worth the sacrifice we're all making? Oh, certainly. Yeah. We would spend close to six months out of the year in Europe every year. And we got a couple weeks off in the spring um, but the rest of the time we're training and we're racing and you're living out of a suitcase. We literally lived out of a suitcase for close to 20 years and, uh, <laughs> rarely saw, rarely saw our family. Um, our, our teammates kind of, you know, at that point become your family and, but yeah, you're, you're, you know, in a foreign country for Christmas, for Thanksgiving. New Year's, Thanksgiving. Yeah. I don't know. How, I don't know how many times we had, a you know and god bless these people in europe who would try to recreate an american thanksgiving and i don't even know what it was but <laughs> but you know they try, they tried and you know they put out the effort and everything but but yeah it was it was it was definitely tough i think the travel was was tough but the but it was such a neat opportunity and the sport was so it's such an intense and and pretty amazing sport and in europe it's the most popular winter sport um over there and we would have between 20 to 30,000 spectators at a world cup and they're sitting in an outdoor stadium and surrounding like an entire 2 to 3 kilometer loop they're like 3 to 5 people deep on this loop and then the, you know there's 30,000 people inside of a outdoor stadium and they're they're less than 50 yards behind you when you're shooting and you come in to shoot and you know, they're cheering and it's so loud. You can't even hear yourself. You can't hear yourself think you can't hear yourself breathe. And you come in and you got to shoot and then 30,000 people all at once go silent. It's the craziest. It's the craziest thing. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And then when you shoot, if you hit, they, they erupt, like they, they cheer if you miss, they boo, <laughs> and you have to do that. You have to do that five times. So every time, if you hit, they cheer. If you miss, they boo. And oh man, and just the pressure of it with that many people, and they're so organized with their cheering. It's just it just completely erupts. And then, so the pressure that you have when you're when you're shooting, because you're also shooting with your heart rate at a close to or above 180 beats per minute. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's winter. So there's blizzard like conditions and wind and cold. If you're lucky, if you can feel your trigger finger, that sort of thing. But then they make matters worse. They, if you miss every time you miss, you have to ski 150 meter extra penalty penalty loop. And that crowd is situated pretty close to the penalty loop. So they will either cheer you on or boo you all the way around the penalty loop. So just the, the thought of <laughs> trying to avoid that with this crowd cheering you on or whatever, it's, it's an intense sport. So it's, and it's really, it's, it's fun. 
<laughs> so I think you guys know Mark Shepard. Yeah. Mark is my gunsmith in West Yellowstone. Yeah. And when I go in there, he he has all these really funky looking biathlon rifles. They what what caliber diameter bore is that? So currently, uh, they in biathlon it's twenty two caliber. Um, okay. But back I think before the nineteen eighties they shot three oh eight. Then they went down to two, two, three, and then finally down to twenty-two, and and several reasons in that a lot of countries can't shoot um, centerfire, so mm-hmm. uh, they they moved to, to rimfire so that more countries could compete for one because that's kind of an Olympic uh, yeah. um, more acceptable caliber for them. Yeah, and there has to be a certain number of countries that can compete in order for it to be an Olympic sport, so it had to be twenty-two, and then they can put. Uh, shooting ranges anywhere. I mean, we competed in a 52,000 capacity soccer stadium in Germany in a biathlon race, and they just put up a tiny little bit of bulletproof glass around the, the shooting range. And Yeah, and literally you're looking downrange, and you can see fans and spectators like just off to your right and we're shooting, <laughs> like shooting literally they set up this this shooting range in the stands. And you're surrounded, and they brought in, they trucked in snow, um, and they they made a little course like in around the stadium. They kind of put in some hills, and then a little outside the stadium and back in. And yeah, I mean, you'd never see anything like that in the U.S. But it was it was so crazy. There's just and they had fireworks inside the state. It was it was amazing. But so you said your heart rate gets up to 180 beats per minute. Is a, I, I, I would tip over. I mean, even in my youth, I would have tipped over at 180 beats a minute. <laughs> I doubt that, Randy. You're in incredible shape. But, um, yeah, we, we tried to get our heart rate as high as we could physically handle um, when we came into the shooting range. And, you know, in the past, they'd, they'd try to calm their heart rate down and let it drop. But the way the sport evolved is, is there was so much money involved in the sport and, and you know, it was so competitive that you didn't have time to let your heart rate drop. You had to mm-hmm. come in as hard as you could and just, you know, make it happen. And, and what we discovered and, and all other biathletes discovered is that when you shoot with a higher heart rate, it's actually easier. And the reason being is that there's less time between beats. And so if mm-hmm. you think of your heart rate, say at 140 beats per minute, um, mm-hmm. you're going to have, uh, like on an EKG, um, you're going to have more time between beats than you are at 180. So yep. it actually makes your barrel movement at 180 more like a hum instead of a lot more up and down movement. Um, so it actually <laughs> makes it easier to shoot as long as you can handle mentally the lack of oxygen and, you know, just want to, wanting to either throw up or pass out and lay down. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's That'd be it. me. Yeah. It actually made it easier. And, uh, you know, that's what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when they, especially in hunting, you know, if it, when they run up a hill to get a shot on an animal, um, a lot of people wait to let their heart rate drop, but the more the heart rate drops, the more, um, perceived barrel movement they're going to have and, and things like that. So sometimes, you know, training to, to be able to handle it mentally and learning how to take a good shot when you run up a hill to, to hunt and, it, it makes the shooting easier and, and better. 
completely contradictory to everything I was taught as a kid. But I'm going right. with what you guys say. <laughs> it makes sense. Huh. Well, yeah. So, how, what what is the distance of the target from because you're in? Are you always in the prone position when you shoot in biathlon? No. So we shoot two different positions. We shoot prone and then we shoot standing. And okay. uh, the the targets are at the same distance. Um, it's fifty. 50 meters prone is about the size of a silver dollar. And then standing targets are about, I think four inches wide. Three, three and a half, four inches. Three and a half to four inches. And, uh, you, you just have to hit anywhere in the plate and then it'll, um, it's like a black target. You hit anywhere in it and then it's replaced by a white. So, you know, white plate. So, you know, you hit it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's fairly fairly small target, but I mean, it's twenty two fifty meters. It's you know, it's doable. Yeah. Oh, for you, for the two of you, it's doable. Not for me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, being it's twenty two and maybe fifty meters isn't enough to impact it. But you guys are out there in some really difficult conditions. Wind ever a factor in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you th- you think of that tiny twenty two bullet and the wind blows it around a lot. So there, I mean, one of the the best skills that we learned in biathlon besides learning how to shoot with a heart rate was learning how to shoot in the wind and shading. We, yeah. Shading was the most important. I mean, you could take clicks, but the wind adjust was your sights. adjust your sights by clicking to the left or right or up or down or something like that. But, um, the wind was so up and down and so variable that you could be onto your third shot and the way it could change. And, you know, trying to, one, trying to think when, when the, the blood's going to your muscles is really difficult. And then two, you know, cause a lot of times we'll come into the range and you forget your left from your right and, and, you know, things like that. It's amazing how under physical exertion and, and press pr- pressure and stress, how you, your brain just kind of turns to mush. But, um, so shading kind of simplifies it and, uh, taking clicks, you know, you could be in the middle of, of shooting and, and have to take more clicks and it just takes more time. So learning Kentucky windage basically, and learning how to, how to shade was a a really important skill. You want everything, you want everything to be subconscious. So you don't have to think as much about it. So you can, you can recognize the, the wind and, and the amount of wind that you have to shade for it and, and that sort of thing. And just subconsciously make the make the adjustment without really thinking about it. (laughs) Uh, You're explaining all this and making it sound so easy, but as someone who has the benefit of free ammunition, who spends days out at the range in all kinds of, I I purposely go there in bad conditions because once I get my zero, that's easy. I want to know what's going on in bad conditions. I know how difficult this is with larger center fire calibers to be doing this the way that that you have to in biathlon and you guys explain it like oh you just kind of yeah you figure it out it's like (laughs) oh no (laughs) you don't just figure it out you you work at it and work at it I, i can't imagine how much work you put into it did you feel that the shooting part was more important to success in biathlon or the the racing part you know, um, I think that they both were equally as challenging and, and because the, the sport had evolved and become so competitive, 
they they both were important. You, in the past, like you could be a really good skier and ski off a couple penalties. Um, but these days it just, it's so competitive. You have to, you have to ski well and you have to hit your targets and, um, you know, for biathlon and for hunting, I think one of the most important things is to train the mental aspect. You know, a lot of people say, oh, shooting is 90% mental. And so, well, well, yeah, it is. And how much do we train that mental side of shooting? You know, people go to the range all the time, but do they actually think about what their brain is doing while they're shooting? And, and usually the answer is no. A lot of people don't don't put that much thought into, you know, the, the mental side of things. They, you know, we work on technique and trigger pull and sight picture and the, the fundamentals and wind and things like that. But I think one of the most important things to train when you're when you're shooting is, is the mental aspect, um, that can help you to be more successful in shooting than anything else. Well, the two of you would know that because right now you, you are some of the top three gun competitors in the country, or at least based on Lanny's Instagram page, uh, this morning I was, so Lanny, you, you've got this Instagram video, you're standing on one of those exercise balls that my physical therapist gave me for strengthening my core. You're standing on that with a, a handgun. The targets are moving and you're hitting them. It's like impossible. <laughs> she, she does actually I, make it look pretty easy, I think. But yeah, standing on yeah. the ball is pretty tough. But we, we would do that a lot in training. You're absolutely right. It, it works on your balance. It works on your core. Um, it's, it's super challenging when we, when we were training, we would like stand on balls and throw, um, medicine balls, like weighted balls back and forth just to work on your core strength and your stability and, and that sort of thing. And so Lanny just, yeah, I mean, she, she just, she tries to take different aspects of shooting to another level, but you know, when she does some, a lot of her trick shooting, it's not it's not just trick shooting. I mean, she trains a lot of it, you know, there's yeah. a, there's a purpose for a lot of it. I mean, it, it seems kind of offlandish and, and kind of wild, but you know, I think, you know, she's trying to challenge herself for one, but then, you know, there, there's that physical and mental side that she's trying to challenge as well. Yeah. I think when you, when you compete at the highest level in something, you have to learn new ways of challenging yourself you know, I do all the regular shooting drills and, and fundamentals, and I work on those types of things. But one thing that keeps me motivated and keeps me excited and helps me push myself to, to new levels is, is doing these trick shots. And, you know, like the one you, you just described, for example. So um, a lot of people just go to the range and they stand in front of the target and they, they shoot. And um, for me, you know, I've done so much of that. Uh, and to, to get my, my shooting to a new level, I want to try to stand on something that's, that's maybe not quite as stable to learn how to, to, to stabilize, stabilize myself to get a good shot. And then, you know, I get the target moving so that I have to, I'm moving, the target's moving. I have to learn how to adjust my sights and my timing and, and the trigger squeeze. And it really works on the fundamentals to an extreme level in that situation. And, and, you know, so it, I don't look at it as just doing trick shooting just for fun. It, there's a specific purpose that 
it, uh, like I do a lot of unicycle and shooting and you know, it, <laughs> it, while it sounds crazy, the, the biggest purpose is to learn how to keep the feet moving while I'm shooting, because, um, that's one of the hardest things to learn is how to move and shoot. Cause most people, once they start pulling the trigger, their body stops them and their feet stop moving. And I've gotten to the point where I can, can move and shoot in three gun. And it's, it's really helped me, but to really get to that level where I can actually run and shoot and, and be confident in it. Um, I've started to unicycle and do that because if you don't keep your feet moving on a unicycle, the unic- unicycle stops. And so, um, to learn how to, to subconsciously keep the feet moving and pedaling while trying to, um, execute a shot, execute a shot, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of one thing that I'm working on cause it'll really help my shooting in other ways. But Randy, there's also a bit of a circus element to all this because we are <laughs> twins and twins kind of are a bit of a circus act. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I know that Lanny, you, your, your Instagram page, is it Lanny Oakley? Is that, is that the one I'm subscribed to? It is. Yeah. Uh, I got the nickname Lanny Oakley, um, basically off of Annie Oakley when I was a kid and it just kind of stuck. Okay. And Tracy, you, you, you're, you, you, come much like I would be if I didn't have a social media firm, you're too busy to yeah, worry about you know, this craziness. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm running check outside. It's an outdoor gear rental company. So we, um, rent by mail, a lot of hunting gear and other stuff like that. But, um, and then I work for high vis with Lanny. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm the one who she calls and she's like, come up with some sort of crazy trick shot for me that I can do. What, what's going to challenge me. So I'm the one who comes <laughs> up with all of her ideas and sometimes <laughs> she curses me for it, but you know, uh, I'm like, you well, need to try this. <laughs> It is fun to watch. Uh, I've seen the ones where you've been skiing through the trees, doing the same thing. It's like this is impossible. This is this is this is not human between human physiology and physics. This cannot be done. But somehow <laughs> you do it, and yeah, and it well, gets caught on video. Yeah. Well, Randy, the skiing and, and shooting—that's just hunting, hunting on skis, hunting for targets, and. And, uh, you know, this, this time of year up in the mountains, the, there's no one, no one up there. And, and, uh, the snow is, is hard packed where you can, you can go up and set targets up anywhere and, and shoot. And it's, it's something I really enjoy. And Tracy and I, we, we, we did that for years in the spring and summer, um, for training and, and, uh, yeah, it's fun. So uh, did you, uh, in your family, so you have an, is it an, an older sister or a younger sister? Uh, she's 14 months older. And, uh, yeah, we grew up doing a lot of hunting and, and things like that together. Yeah. Did you, did you ever have any choice but to be an outdoor family? You know, I'm, I'm sure we, we could have been indoor girls if we wanted to. Uh, so when my parents were pregnant with Tracy and I, they didn't actually know they were having twins. Um, they wanted a surprise and man, did they get one, but the doctor told them that they were having a really big boy cause they could only detect one heartbeat. And so, um, instead of one really big boy, they got two little tiny girls. And, and, uh, so my mom actually, cause she didn't have girl names picked out. And, um, she originally thought 
well, I'll name them Victoria and Veronica. And we would have been Vicky and Vern. I'm sure had she named us Vicky and Vern, we would have been Ender girls. Um, but thankfully she named us Lanny and Tracy. And, and I'm sure that was the reason why we were outdoor girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an amazing story. I, I mean, they had to have known somewhere along the way, didn't they? Yeah. Lanny came out. And the doctor's like, get more nurses in here. There's another one. No way. It was, the point when they were like, he, he retired <laughs> after that. I think he had had enough. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, And Tracy, you have two kids, right? I that's, do, yeah. Th- th- that yeah. explains another part of the being really, really busy. Yeah, that's the I'm, – I'm just biding my time until they're old enough to help pack elk out. <laughs> my whole goal for having children was to help me pack out elk <laughs> no it's i'm i'm super psyched to, they're 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 way into hunting and they they've got their little bb guns and um yeah i can't wait to take them out i mean i've taken them out small game hunting and stuff like that but well when we yeah, actually tracy uh when her first um firstborn was what three or four, you, you carry her on her back when we were out archery elk hunting. And she actually could do, um, a really good, uh, cow call. Oh yeah. She's and great. just, just with her mouth. And so she actually called in a hunter once and <laughs> this guy goes, I got a sworn you were an elk. <laughs> and he's like, he found Tracy with a, you know, a four-year-old strapped to her back and he, he just couldn't believe it. <laughs> Uh, it might have been the chit chatty kid on the bat on my back the whole time but but yeah it's you know it'll be a fun family thing for sure oh cool and lanny you're so busy with work and competitions i don't know how you have time to do any social media or other stuff yeah it's it's a challenge for sure i mean i'm kind of in the same boat as tracy's i'm not a huge fan of social media um i mean i i love the fact that it helps keep you connected with people but um you know it's like you know it's a challenge with facebook Mm -hmm. and and instagram if you're in the shooting and hunting world um yeah and uh so that that part i don't like but um, I just try to try to make time for it to try to inspire people because um, I'm a firm believer and you can do anything you put your mind to. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to see something positive out there, you know, and something that could help inspire someone because there is, unfortunately, you got to wade through a lot of negativity and other stuff. But, yeah, you can yeah. find like your stuff, Randy. Well, that's why you don't have to wade through it on my channel. You get smoked if you're going to – if you come to my platforms to have a bad day – you get shown the door and uh i a lot because i travel like the two of you do a lot and so i told my social media firm if there's anyone who gets on my platforms that you help me with and they want to make everyone else you know some people wake up with the the daily belief that i'm not happy till you're not happy well I don't deal with that very well. So I tell my social media firm, toast them. And if all they want to talk about, if everything becomes politics, smoke them, block them. So every once in a while, I get a call or an email from a family member or a friend saying, hey, you blocked me from your Instagram or Facebook channel. I'm like, well, you must have been a jerk then. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so, yeah, it has its challenges. But if done properly, I think can be a, can be a useful thing. 
take some more work as as you know Annie with the with the stuff that you do and then you your position at Hi-Viz you are the are you like the person in charge of law enforcement military and other sales stuff there yeah yeah I went from the director of commercial sales to the director of uh LE and military uh sales a couple weeks ago and I got kicked out of my position by my twin sister. <laughs> um, oh, really? <laughs> like, no, we actually were, we're, we're growing like crazy at Hi-Viz and Hi-Viz sites. They make uh, sites for handguns, rifles, and shotguns. Um, most known for their, their shotgun sites and things like mm-hmm. that. But have yeah, so. so we, we just, because we're growing like crazy, we need more help. And, and uh, you know, we thought who, who better to, to fill my shoes than someone that looks like me. And so they, they hired Tracy and, and so we're going to be working together to tackle the sales around the, the world for Hi-Viz and, and just help them grow even more. Cool. And then Tracy, you started this equipment rental company a few years ago. I remember you reached out to me. Um, tell the world more about that so that they can come out, have a great experience and maybe not have to buy all the gear. They can rent it from you. Yeah. So the idea stemmed from, you know, you can go to any ski area in the country, in the world and rent gear, right? You don't need to have to buy all this stuff in order to try out the sport or to enjoy it. And I just felt at least with the outdoor and the hunting world, there isn't something like that where, I mean, you know how it is. You get a tag and you drop how many hundreds of dollars, if not more, on a tag somewhere. And then if you're out of state, you've got to get your 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 hotel room, your, your, um, plane ticket, you know, all the travel and everything. And then, and then on top of that, you have all the gear and maybe you're hunting an animal that you don't, you know, don't normally hunt at home. And so you're looking at a whole different line of gear, spotting scopes and range finders, backpacks and all sorts of stuff. Um, and so I just wanted to create something where people can have access to really high quality gear that they can have on their hunt, um, and have the opportunity to rent it so they can come out, come out West to, um, hunt big game or, you know, go to Alaska or wherever they're going to go and have the equipment that they need without dropping even more thousands of dollars. Um, but then you have the opportunity to be successful in the field because you have what you need. So I just, you know, I, I wanted to be able to, uh, give that opportunity to people so that they can really enjoy and have a, have a great experience on their hunt. So we, we rent by mail. So we'll ship it to either you or your destination, um, spotting scopes, binoculars, uh, you know, packs, all sorts of accessories, um, for hunting and outdoor sports, um, just so that you can enjoy it. And we try to make it a good experience is pretty simple. You know, it's got a return label in the box. So you, you're get done with it. You throw it back in the box, put the label on, ship it back. So pretty easy to do. Um, and then, yeah, it gets you the opportunity to hopefully be more successful and have a better experience. And where can people find this? I, I, you, you, you got to work on your sales pitch, Tracy. Oh, I mean, no we're, 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 we want to convert <laughs> listeners to customers here. This is... I know, and I'm terrible at that. But yeah, checkoutside.com is where you can find it. And uh, yeah, like I said, we ship we ship all over the country. So if we can ship to your destination, if you're flying out there, you don't want to haul the stuff with you, 
or we can ship it at home and then you can pack all your gear before you leave. Checkoutside.com. Yep. All right. There you have it, folks. No, no charge for that good piece of advice. That's going <laughs> to save you a lot of money. So I, I hope people are getting the feel that the two of you are, are serious hunters. I mean, I, I get enough pictures to see that some, some elk are in danger when Lanny and Tracy decide, eh, I'm going elk hunting today. And you live in a place that has a lot of elk. Is that kind of your 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 if you want to call it species of of pursuit most of the time? Absolutely, I think that's but hands down probably one of our favorite things to pursue. I mean, hunting elk in the Rocky Mountains is so challenging in in of itself, and um, you know we we grew up gun hunting, and um, I say it's kind of cheating because our dad he he started hunting them in the seventies when he first moved here and, um, between him and, and three of us girls, we'd go out and we'd scout and we'd figure out exactly where they were. So we'd wake up opening morning and then we'd shoot one. And, and then it, it just, all the hunting was over. It wasn't, it was just work after that. So we decided (laughs) (laughs) to, to make more, make the hunt last, make the hunt last longer and make it more challenging. So we started archery hunting right after we graduated high school. And we've been doing that ever since because, um, you know, you know how it is, Randy, where you, you can be out there and you could do everything perfect. And then the last couple seconds you can, you can screw something up and then, you know, boom, that opportunity is gone. And so, um, you know, it, there's no guarantee in, in archery and it, it's a lot more of a challenge. So we, and because we're kind of a little bit off our rockers and we love anything that's challenging, um, we kind of really took to that and, and loved uh, chasing elk with a bow. Uh, I'm I, I love it also, but I invent new ways to mess it up. Just when I think I've figured <laughs> out every possible way to screw up an archery elk encounter, I come up with a new way to do it. And uh, I I know that those who watch our platforms probably are sitting there saying, "You knucklehead! How did you think that was going to turn out?" Well. <laughs> You know, I got excited and I, you know, and that's the, the other beauty of archery for me is I, earlier I was talking about, you know, in the business world, how hunting applies that there's so many things you can't control. And when you have to get within this really intimate distance with archery, it just amplifies that to an even higher level where every little bit of movement, noise, smell, changing of, a, of you know, all of a sudden you were standing in the shade and then the clouds blow past and now you're standing exposed in the light and they're locked right in on you. It's they're just, I, it, as you guys know, there's so many uncontrollables. For me, I just have to focus on what are the controllables. And the only controllable item out there when I'm doing this is me and my mind. And I just focus on that. And it, I still screw it up way more yeah. than I. Yeah, but that's the neat thing about archery. And then with all those different variables, so you have that opportunity that you maybe ultimately screwed up. But when you look back on it, you can try to you know, break it down and see what you could have improved on. Um, and there's so many different things that, you know, it's like a constant, um, constant ladder that you can kind of like 
get up the next rung. Maybe you're knocked down two or whatever, but you can kind of, it's like a climbing up a ladder. You can just always try to improve on something and get a little closer, a little closer. And then finally, maybe eventually you connect and it's just the most, well, finally, when you do connect after all of that, it's like the most beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't get those moments of, of celebration with a bow as often as I do with a rifle, but I have way more fun archery hunting than I, and I, I don't mean this in any bad way. I grew up rifle hunting. I, I, I didn't buy a bow till I was 31. Uh, but there's, I've yet to find anything in my rifle hunting world that equates to that close up, that challenge, that everything you just explained that I get out of archery. And at this point in my life, there is a lot of other reasons I, I hunt besides just the food and the experience is probably, if food is 1A, the experience and the challenge is 1B. Yeah, I I would agree with you 100%. I mean, for for Tracy and I, you know, it it I I get as as much joy out of shooting something with a gun, but there's something to be said about that experience of of getting in close on an animal, it, you know, forcing yourself to get in closer, really close, up close and personal with a bow and and just the the experiences are are so much more memorable. I mean, I I I probably even though i've messed up some really really incredible opportunities on some some really nice bowls and just you know things like that i remember those more and they stick with you and they motivate you to want to be better and want to to want to get back out there and try again well you guys live in the place to do it i i was uh, lucky enough to draw a colorado elk tag last year for the first rifle season and i took the llamas in about seven miles uh just north of you guys uh and there was a bullet yeah i think he wanted to be a youtube star he was <laughs> bugling his brains out he's like film me film me hey i'm over here hey and uh i don't know there's something really classic about being at twelve thousand feet in the colorado rockies on october 10th and having a, a bull elk bugling if if my heartbeat can get to 180 beats per minute that's when it's going to happen and uh so he 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 tried so hard to get on camera that finally we obliged him (laughs) uh, (laughs) but the cool part was we only saw one other hunter in the whole time we were in there and uh it it just caused me to think about what a remarkable place that one of you had mentioned, you know, the Rocky mountains. Is there anything more classic than that? And here we are camped at this little high Alpine Lake, listening to elk bugle as you're laying in your tent. If that doesn't cause you to, to realize how amazing my life is, uh, I don't know what will. It was, uh, it was a ton of fun. But I, I won't be back there this year. Um, I'm unfortunately got oh, too many other things going on. But I, I try to make Colorado part of my calendar every year. Some some years I succeed. I did draw a deer tag this year in Colorado. Nice. But but my son drew a Nevada elk tag after 19 years of applying. Wow. And that that Nevada elk tag is the same exact dates as 
the Colorado deer hunt. So I'll be turning my Colorado deer tag back. Oh, so, bummer. So yeah. one of these years you have to come out and hunt with us. Uh, you guys, had, you, you'd walk me into the ground. I'd, I'd <laughs> fall over. You, uh, how's your CPR and your other backwoods uh, uh, first aid skills? Because you'd probably need them if you had a guy like me who drives a desk for a living. Oh, not, not at all. You do, you do amazing. Um, you know, I, Tracy and I take people out hunting all the time and, um, you know, a lot of people say that, Oh, you, you'd kill us if we took you out. And, and there's, there's two types of hunting that we do. There's the type of hunting where it's just Tracy and I, and we go back as, as far back as humanly possible. Cause we want to be the only ones back there. And, and people think we're crazy when we go these places, but when we take other people out, you know, we don't, we don't try to kill them. <laughs> we want you to come back and enjoy the experience and things like that. So everybody uh, we've taken out has, has always made it back to camp. So I'll just, okay. That well, I, knock on wood. I, I'd hate to be that first person who doesn't make it, but, uh, no, that's fine. all right. I'm, I've, I'm building points. So that, that would be cool. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, but with your, uh, do you feel that it sounds like you, st- your, your family started, I'll say dragging you out into the woods before you started biathlon. So I don't know if one comes before the other in terms of did one teach you valuable skills that applied to the other, or did each of them teach, did hunting teach you stuff to apply in biathlon and did biathlon apply? teach you stuff to apply in your hunting? Absolutely. I think that, um, so we, we started hunting before we discovered biathlon and, um, I think right immediately, right off the bat, hunting made us better biathletes because we understood what it was like to shoot with a elevated heart rate and, and kind of in a stressful situation. Cause that's what you get when you go out hunting, mm-hmm. even if you're sitting in a blind and you're not actually moving physically, when an animal comes in and your heart jumps into your throat and you, you know, you have that surge of adrenaline, um, it's the same kind of thing. It's just a, a different, same physio- physiological response, just at a different level. So, um, hunting definitely made us better biathletes. And what we realized is biathlon made us better hunters. Um, learning how to shoot with a extreme heart rate and under extreme, uh, you know, physiological stress. Um, it helped us in those situations where, you know, you were faced with a, with a gigantic bull or, or a bear, you know, something like that. Um, it helped us to, to kind of calm our nerves and, and be able to get a, a good solid shot off. And, and, uh, so they, they equally helped the other, but I think even going back, um, to the days of like our dad, giving us a quarter for shooting a target. Like one of the things I remember that I'll always remember that our dad taught us when we first started hunting and those sorts of things was patience. And some of those Hmm. skills that you learn even at a young age, when you first start to hunt and fish or anything like that, when you're pursuing something that has so many different variables or whatever, um, patience was the thing that I think, um, helped us to, uh, become mentally strong in order to be able to, uh, you know, handle, 
some of the extreme aspects of competition on such a high level. And then even, you know, being able to hunt big game, um, when you're archery hunting or things like that, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that we learned from our dad was patience. Huh? So, uh, the two of you, uh, are talking about here. And when I've heard you talk before, it's almost like you are PhDs in physiology or, or I don't know if medicine's the right word, but to do what you have done and achieve at that level, the understanding of your body, how, what your body's needs are, uh, hearing you talk about oxygen deprivation, how it affects you mentally, is, is that something that they teach in, in an Olympic-type program? Uh, I mean, uh, you, you had to go down a path that the layperson is so ignorant of a lot of things that you probably had to learn and now take for granted in how bodies respond to stress, excitement, high, you know, high altitude, low oxygen levels, all that stuff. Is that, I mean, how do you acquire that uh, just through experience? Well, I think some of that, you know, we learned a little bit, um, through our Olympic experience because, you know, they, they'd throw us on a treadmill all the time and, and strap all these wires to us and, you know, things like that, um, to get, you know, our, our physiological base, you know, VO max and uh, lactic threshold and, and max heart rate and a lot of different things like that. But, um, one thing that, you know, when you're at that level, uh, the more, you know, the, the better you are, I mean, knowledge is, is power. And so we both, um, and especially me, I, I went to school for, um, kinesiology and physiology. And then while I was in school, I also took a ridiculous number of, of psychology courses because hmm. all that, kind, all of that, the body and the mind and how they work, um, fascinated me for one, but also learning how they functioned helped us break down and become better in our, in our sport. And, um, uh, both the physical and mental aspect of shooting. I think also we were just curious people by nature. So, and we were always looking and for ways because we liked that challenge and because we were curious, we were always looking for ways to improve. So we would take just, for example, we take our rifle and we would look at ways to fit it better for us. So we would make a cheek piece and we would make a butt plate, and that would, that would fit better. Um, so that, you know, our body wasn't fighting it when we're, you know, coming in to shoot. And, and then we would kind of break down our training and try to look at ways to improve. And we would look at our competitions with 30,000 screaming fans and that kind of <laughs> pressure that you feel when you come into the range with your competitor right next to you. And we say, so how do we recreate that in training? So that when we are in that situation, how do we improve upon that so that we don't have some sort of negative um, psychological response to that? And then, how, you know, it's, it was all about challenging ourselves in a way that would help us to improve and then learning how, you know, how the body and mind reacts so that, that we can be better prepared for whatever we did face, whether it was in competition or even in hunting. So. Well, yeah. it's so it's so far beyond what an accountant can can learn. Uh, 
I, I just got to try my best. Do, do you ever hear any common tales about, you know, I don't care what it is, altitude sickness, hydration, things related to working out or fitness that are completely false and you just kind of roll your eyes and shake your head like, go ahead and keep thinking that? Well, I mean, it, it all depends on each individual person. I mean, everybody reacts to altitude different. Um, they oh, have really? a different um, f- physiological uh, base. You know, it depends on your physical fitness, a lot of things. You know, a lot of pe- times when people experience altitude sickness, it's usually a result of them drinking too much beer the night before uh, <laughs> you know, their first night at altitude and having dehydration. Um you know, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you come up to altitude, it takes 14 days for your body to actually, 10 to 14 days for your body to actually adjust 100%. Mm-hmm. So for people that come up for a week-long hunt, just accept the fact that you're not going to adjust to altitude while you're there. <laughs> so you're mm-hmm. as soon as you come up, your body starts building red blood cells, and um, they're called reticulocytes, which are baby red blood cells, and they take 10 to 14 days to mature. So, you know, you really don't have that good physiological effect of of benefiting from extra red blood cells until after 10 to 14 days. Um, if you go back to low altitude, you obviously have more blood cells and you, f- you feel like a rock star, but, um, you know, it, it takes time for the body to adjust and, and helping it. Um, you can do things like making sure you're, uh, well hydrated, um, you know, uh, having enough electrolytes. And then another thing people don't realize is they always say, okay, well, I'm going to go to the Rocky mountains, <clears throat> excuse me and do an elk hunt. And so I got to build up all this muscle mass and, you know, get my legs really strong and my shoulders and things like that. So they put on all this extra muscle mass. And when you're at altitude, the more muscle you have, the more weight your body has to carry and the more blood, more oxygen you have to feed to those muscles. Yeah. So being light and lean is actually better than big and bulky. (laughs) If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> because I'm neither. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> you can run up those mountains, Randy. I've seen you. Oh, that's just for camera. I, it's just a small clip. What you don't see is when the camera quits rolling and I'm laying on my back gasping for air. But, <laughs> uh, no, I, the reason I say that is I had a blood clot in 2005 that destroyed most of the plumbing in my liver. So I don't have a portal vein, don't have a lot of other stuff. I get about 25% of the blood flow to my liver that the average person gets. And so I can't get rid of lactic acids very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so people will see some episodes and they'll say, he looks drunk. Well, I'm not quite drunk because I haven't drank alcohol since that event in 2005. Uh but when you have the toxin loads that I carry, sometimes uh, it it might look like I'm drunk. Maybe I'm even acting drunk. I don't know. But uh, yeah. the the point of what that has done for me is I I feel like I am unbelievably hypersensitive or hyper aware of how my body is responding to my hydration level, to what I've eaten that day what kind of things I've done or shouldn't have done with my diet. I 
the human mind can really dial into that. And I've been forced to do it just by a function of, of a unrepairable, uh, plumbing condition. Um, so I suspect when, when you're training and when you're doing what you do, you probably have some of that same awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you get to the point where you can, um, you can feel every little thing that happens in your body and you're aware of everything. Uh, you know, and what, what I, I like to tell a lot of people when they, when they are getting ready for a hunt or something like that, like say someone from, Pennsylvania, um, gets a awesome Rocky mountain elk hunt tag and, and they're, they're preparing for the hunt. Um, you know, they're, they're training hard for it. They're going to the range, you know, they're putting the time in a lot of people when they get to Colorado, you know, what you do, um, the few days leading up to, and during your hunt can really help make that experience that much better. I mean, I tell people all the time, you have to treat yourself like you are an elite athlete. You know, when we get to altitude, we're like, okay, well, I need calories. So I'm going to grab those Oreos. You know, I need (laughs) uh, carbohydrates. So those donuts look good, you know, things like that. And and then you end up having a sugar load and then bonking, you know, and things Mm -hmm. like that. And what people don't realize is like, treat your body as if it were a fine tune race car. You know, what you put in it is what you're going to get out of it. Um, And, you know, preparation and things like that are important. If you're, if you want to have a successful hunt and you want to do well, um, you know, take it seriously. If you put bad gas in a car, it's going to die on you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that one. (laughs) Next time I see one of my crew member eating something, they're going to regret. I'm going to say, you don't, that's like putting bad gas in your car. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. A lot of people, they, they, uh, you know, put all these preparations in. And then finally, when they get to the hunt, the things that they do while they're there can actually mess it up and negate all that hard work that they put into the hunt. So see it through to the end. That's what I say. So outside of your family, because we all have mentors within our family, do you have any life mentors who, whether it's in your personal life, your, your biathlon lives or, or otherwise that you've looked to and said, this person, either what they overcame or how they presented themselves. Anyone that is, is there a, a, a Venus Williams of the, you know, the biathlon world or a Michael Jordan of the biathlon world? You know, uh, there, there's a ton of biathletes that we, that we looked up to while we were doing the sport, but for, for Tracy and I, I think we, we looked at a lot of other people, um, for inspiration and one person that we really look up to, and this is not a paid, um, promotion or endorsement whatsoever, but was Randy Newberg. (laughs) And And I'm being all serious there. Um, what, what we loved about you is that you went out and you did it the way you're supposed to, you know, it was real, you know, and, and we always appreciated the fact that, um, you did that. And, and for, for people who have sat on the side of a mountain bawling because we messed up an opportunity or had to lay down on the ground for an hour or so, because we bonked so hard from pushing ourselves while out hunting, you know, we, we see the same kind of thing that, that you're doing and we do the same thing and we appreciate that 
And so that doesn't just show like some yourself with, you know, this huge reward, this huge bowl that you have. You see when, when, when we, we see what you do, you, you show every bit of it. You show the ups, you show the downs, you show, and it's so real and it's so raw. And there's so much appreciation for something like that because it's, that's what everybody goes through. And just to show like the good, you know, that, that reward at the end, well, well, how do you get there? You know, I mean, so many people, they've, they've never made it to that end point where they have that huge wall hanger. So, you know, to be able to, for someone to see the steps and like, yeah, then be prepared for it because yeah, not every time is it going to be this glorious thing. So sometimes you're going to just run into that brick wall and it's going to knock you down. But so that's something to really, that we've always really looked up to. Well, I, you guys really caught me off guard with that one. I, I sent you the list of talking points, but we didn't have any answers. So I'm completely unprepared for how how to (laughs) respond to that. Uh, flattered is not the right word uh doesn't even go far enough to explain uh because i can i can i put it this way um uh what we this is this is kind of how we think of you you are an olympian in hunting (laughs) oh my goodness so that's just what we think Oh, that is so kind of you and means so much to me. I, uh, two people who, you know, in the 10 years of getting to know you uh, and that I've admired so greatly, for you to say that is, is man, it, <laughs> uh, I'll clear the lump in my throat here in a minute. But uh, so uh, in the... The world of hunting that we do, you guys, uh, I, so we look at, I, I'm trying to think of how to properly frame this. Uh, we know that hunting and shooting isn't necessarily in great favor in the, you know, in society, but probably even less so in, in all the times you spent over in Europe. Uh, how do you guys handle being such accomplished people and you hunt and you shoot you you're very proud of that you you don't i've never seen you try to hide it or make any quasi apologies for it is that a challenge in where you guys are in your lives with the you know your profile and and everything or is it just hey this is who we are and this is our our upbringing and take it or leave it you know, I think, I think it kind of goes both ways. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely very proud of what we do and, and have done and are going to continue to do what we love as long as, 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 as we can until we're, you know, six feet under and, and, you know, but that's not to say that, uh, when we get people uh, attacking us for what we do and, you know, um, saying how, I, we, we actually had, uh, you know, someone that we're very close to and that we really look up to basically said that we had blood on our hands because we were supporting, um, you know, firearms and, and shooting sports and stuff like that. And, and, Hmm. you know, those types of things, they can, they can really hurt, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you have to realize that, um, those, those types of attacks and things like that are not necessarily, uh, directed, 
just at you. Um, they're, you know, directed in, at, a, at a bigger problem that we face as society. And, and you got to take the time to, to look at why that person is saying it and, and, you know, what, what caused them to do it. And then, um, try to find some common ground so that you can make a positive change instead of just creating more animosity. Yeah. I think oftentimes you see someone just get overly emotional about some sort of topic and, and then they lash out. And, and sometimes I think if, if you, you don't necessarily even need to call them out on it, but just have a conversation with them about it, a decent conversation with them about it, because then oftentimes they, hopefully if they're a reasonable person, they can, you know, see the error of, of how they went about, um, that whole topic. But I think in general, you know, with, with everything that's going on and and when people do attack you, I think it just goes back to what we talked about earlier, just being that good person, that person that goes out and when, and helps someone, whether they're your friend, whether they're your foe, whether they're, you know, someone who just needs an extra hand up or just give a smile and a wave and try to just be that good person because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going through something. Um, and you know, just trying to be good. I think we'll always continue to have our opportunities to hunt and to shoot. And sometimes we need to fight for those sort of things, but just in general, being good people is just going to overall help, help our our world to be a better place. That's that's an amazing mature way to look at it and to express that because too often in the spaces that we live, uh, uh, it, it's more combative, uh, and it's the lashing back, you know, the, you get lashed out at the, the human condition is to lash back and it, it takes a, a higher level of, of maturity and, and bigger picture view to not to, to to deny our tendencies and to think about it in the way that the two of you just expressed that, and uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, I like the way that you've said it. Uh, uh, like all of you, I, I get more than my share of of uh, I call them love letters, uh, <laughs> and uh, my wife manages my emails very often and so she she gets to see some of the brutal ones but the one the ones that really make her day i can tell when we've received some cool emails as i'll come home and she'll be like you gotta read this email this person wrote this unbelievable note to us and da 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 and so i think by focusing on the on the things that make you smile or make you feel better and just kind of sloughing off the the critics uh it, it's just less draining and gives us more energy to do the, the positive things that we wake up to try and accomplish every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in your hunting world, you, I think you've expressed that uh, archery elk is kind of where it's at. Um, I think I've seen pictures of you guys with turkeys, with just about a little bit of anything that lives in Colorado that can be converted to wild food. Uh, is elk also your favorite when it comes dinner time? You know, I'd, I'd probably say yes, but, uh, I, I love all wild games. So, and I love to cook 
and I love to experiment okay. on my little husband. Um, so he, he gets, <laughs> I try out new recipes on him all the time, but, um, it, any wild game, I, I love to, to hunt. I love to cook. Um, so uh, we do a lot of waterfowl, a lot of quail, mm. um, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, duck are so bad. How can you? How can you eat that?" And you get, you know how it is. Um, people say yeah. it all the time, like, "I can't stand the taste of wild game." And and then they they come over to my house and I I cook for them, and they're like, "Wow, that tastes better than a, a cow steak." And um, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, as long as you know how to cook it, uh, wild game can be better, just as good, if not better, than you know any sort of game that or any sort of meat that you can buy in the store." I agree. The, the, the talent in the kitchen is usually the deciding factor. Definitely. At, at least in, in my experiences. Um, so what other hobbies do you have? I, on her Instagram channel, I see Lanny playing the fiddle once in a while. Unbelievable artist. What else do, the, do you guys do when you're not hunting, working, family, or shooting? Uh, Trace and I kind of take being Olympians, uh, very seriously. So we, we actually do a lot of volunteer stuff. We will go around the country and give speeches to schools. We, we take out wounded vets and terminally ill kids on hunts. We, um, you know, work with a lot of different communities with, uh, boys and girls club. Um, you know, just a lot of different organizations like that. Cause we, especially when it comes to kids, we have a hard time saying no, like if someone, you know, across the country says, Hey, we got this event with a bunch of kids. We're like, okay, we're in <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because we, we, we had such incredible people in our lives growing up that, that helped us to get to where we are. Um, we really take seriously giving back and, and helping the next generation to have those same opportunities because I, I feel like, you know, and it, it, not just younger generations. We, we do a lot of stuff with, um, you know, all generations, but uh, we're firm believers in that you can put in, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, um, what a lot of people don't realize is that, that you can, you just, you have to put the work in. And, and if you're willing to do that, um, the sky's the limit for sure. And we really enjoy helping people to see the potential in themselves. Cause a lot of times I think people just, don't quite see what, you know, they, maybe they just haven't found that little niche for themselves. And if we have the opportunity to help them see the potential that they have, no matter what it is that they're, that they're doing, that's, that's super important to us. And we, we feel that as athletes who have the opportunity to represent the U S it is our responsibility to give back because we had this opportunity. Now it's our time to give back, to help out where we can and, and, and really, uh, try to impact and have a positive impact on the, on our youth. The TV are so remarkable and I hope people listening realize I'm sure they do by now. We've been talking for hour and 20 minutes that this is who Lanny and Tracy really are. This isn't like a manufactured let's put on the Ritz here while the, the camera's rolling or the, the recorder is, is taping us in my little more than 10 years of knowing you, this is what the two of you do with your time and with your, your energy and, and the platforms you have. And it's, it is so remarkable. And that's why I was, I, I felt remiss that it took us this long to, 
to get together for a conversation like this, but I'm so thankful that we have because you you are an example of every day try to do something good. And the world needs a whole lot more of the try to do something good than than the other way around. Uh it's uh it is so remarkable and I I I think the other thing that comes through loud and clear is the pride that the two of you have in, in having represented your country and, and how much you love this country. And, and you are giving back. I mean, it, you, <laughs> I'm sure you know it. Uh, you probably don't admit it, but you guys make such a big difference to so many people. And uh, we're, all, we're all better off for that. Um, I don't know. Are you guys going to send me an invoice for all this valuable time that I'm taking from you? <laughs> no, come on. Yeah, I think you know, uh, to, to speak to that, um, you know, represent our country thing. I, th- I think that, you know, so many people don't in, in the United States don't realize how amazing that we actually do have it in this country. And, and you know, we've had the unique opportunity of traveling to so many different countries, mostly the cold, miserable places of the world, but, um, a lot of places where, um, people don't have it as good as the United States. Um, people are living in poverty and, and, um, we, we were able to see that and, and experience that. And, and it makes you appreciate the freedoms and the, the wonderful things we have back here in the United States. And, and, uh, I wish every kid in high school, um, could go overseas somewhere to a different country just for a couple weeks and, and, and see how much, how much we have to appreciate here in the United States. Cause, um, we definitely live in the greatest country in the world. It's interesting. You say that when my son was 16, he went to Ecuador one summer and at 16, 15, maybe it was 15 or 16. He was your typical American teenager, right? You know, what, what am I going to do today? Kind of, oh, yeah, me and my friends going to hang out. And, yeah, I'll go out and shoot this afternoon. And then maybe we'll go fishing. You know, just privileges and, and, and opportunities galore. He goes to Ecuador, to Quito, Ecuador. I've never been there. But when he came back, he was a completely changed person. He became a minimalist of the ultimate degree where to the point today i think if he had one pair of pants and one pair of socks he'd be like oh i'm good i don't don't need any more and the very first thing he said to me when we picked him up at the airport is dad you have no idea how spoiled we are and uh uh, the the statement that you just made i didn't live it i didn't travel uh, as a young person or much even as an adult but I saw it with him where now he he just is so appreciative of, of a lot of things. And it was a changing event in, in his life. I don't know if he'd admit that, but as someone watching his behavior from the outside, he instantly became more self-aware of the benefits and privileges that he had in his life. And I think that made him more appreciative. So, yeah, and yeah. I, I think that, that opportunity that he had and that, you know, that Lanny and I were awarded when we were able to travel. I think when you experience other things, when you see it firsthand, then I think then you have some validation to actually make a judgment on something or, or at least make up your mind on some topic 
because if you haven't experienced it, if you haven't seen it, um, then, then you really, I don't even know where you're, where you're getting your ideas from, but if you have that opportunity to really, um, experience something firsthand, then, then you can really, um, be able to make a better decision on, on where, how you feel on a lot of these heavy topics that we, that we kind of see here that we face. So it just gives you a good opportunity to do that. Well, the the two of you have traveled more in a year than most people will travel in a lifetime. So (laughs) (laughs) your perspectives on that are a hundred percent worth, worth listening to. Um, Anything else you want to leave the audience with before we uh, we try to wrap this up? If uh, any words of wisdom, any things that you're planning, dreaming of, or places people can see you, meet you, follow you? You know, I think we, we covered a lot. Um, the only thing I'd say, stress again, is you can do anything you put your minds to, so don't don't hold back on your dreams. And, and I think in this world that we're in right now, um, don't be afraid to take someone new to the range and teach them how to shoot or, or take someone who's interested in hunting out, out into the field. Um, that's the only way we're going to, to grow shooting sports and, and get good people, um, loving, loving what we do as much as we do. I agree with all that. That's uh, hey, hey, Do you guys ever get any grief of, well, quit teaching so many people. It's already too crowded. Anyone ever push back <laughs> on you with that? We, we've heard that a little bit because, um, you know, here in southwest Colorado, we've seen a significant rise in the number of people out in the woods mm-hmm. and things like that. But um, I think I think the, the most important thing is that, that – we actually do take these people out and teach them and, and show them the respect that, that our, our forests deserve and, and the way to, to do it properly, you know, cause there's, there's a right way and there's a wrong way of, of, of hunting and, and doing things right. So it's important to take people out. Um, I, I know that you will keep doing that. have no doubt. Do you, do you still, then you guys have like, uh, website twin by athletes or something at one time we did yeah um we have since uh taken that down but i oh. <laughs> i have a <laughs> just hard to maintain all that stuff but um i have a website lannyoakley.com and uh um a great company uh up in minnesota actually uh blue 42 they they helped me with it um kind of maintaining it and uh, I'm supposed to have my schedule on there because Tracy and I do te- teach courses all around the country, whether it's for shooting or we even teach uh, courses on hunting and stuff like that. Um, no way. We get it. Yeah. But uh, we always say if, if someone wants to uh, do a course or something like that, just reach out to us and we'll, we'll get something set up. And where would they reach out to you at? Uh, social media or on our website, there's a, there's a contact us link and things like that. Lanny yeah. Oakley. Lanny Oakley.com. Lanny Oakley. Not Annie. L A N N Y Oakley.com. Is that right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You got it. Man, I, I must have had enough coffee this morning to actually be awake. <laughs> so, uh, Lanny and Tracy, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Can't thank you enough for your friendship and your inspiration. Uh, I, uh, 
look forward to the next time there's some some reason or purpose for us to visit in person again um, in the interim if there's ever anything I can do for the two of you uh, I hope you'd reach out and uh, someday uh, we need to do that elk hunt we're talking about yeah definitely <clears throat> yeah I, I think we could have some good conversations after a after a good elk hunt I think it'd be or, fun or do I need to wait until Tracy's kids are old enough to pack elk? <laughs> oh, they're, yeah, well, a couple years. They'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> they're in training, right? Yeah, they're in training. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how much I admire you and appreciate all that you do. And folks, uh, if you're listening to this, I hope that you'll go to some of the places that that you can find and follow uh, Lanny and Tracy, and you'll do that. Uh, and you'll follow some of their advice about doing your best to make sure that every day is a good day. So, thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>